Good morning, everybody, and welcome to our worship for Sunday, the 28th of February. Jesus reminds us that prayer and worship aren't just for church buildings, but also something done in the privacy of our own homes. He said, when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In Philippians chapter 4, we read, Rejoice in the Lord always. I said again, Rejoice. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So let us come before God in prayer. Lord, as we continue to journey our way through Lent this year, culminating in the joyous celebration of Easter Sunday, we remember that it's all about you, Lord Jesus, about what you came to do for us, setting aside your own interests, overcoming your human instincts towards self-preservation and finding the easiest path, which is not always the right path, resisting the temptations of power and popularity. Lord, we thank you that you set your love for your Father and your love for us above all of those things, leading you ultimately to the cross, whereby giving yourself for us so completely, you completed the work your Father sent you to do. Your finished work, a glorious victory over sin and death, and hell. We acknowledge, Lord, that there is nothing that we can add to that finished work. By any amount of praying and fasting or sacrifice, you did what we could never do, and you offer your victory to us who trust in you. Lord, we confess our feelings to you, uh, our giving into temptation, our our giving of our allegiances and loyalties and affections to lesser gods, the gods of ourselves and the gods of things that take your rightful place in our lives. Forgive us. Give us a right perspective, we, we pray, and reorder our priorities. Help us to acknowledge our feelings, but, but not to wallow in them, but to focus rather on what you have done for us for which we are so grateful and for which we praise you. And help us, Lord, to learn and to grow with the help of your Holy Spirit and your word and to press on towards the goal to which we are called anew. Lord, strengthen us for the journey. Help us to learn to, the, the discipline of journeying together with you, our Master, who, who gives rest to the weary, whose burden is light, and whose yoke is easy. May we learn to live to the rhythms of your grace. We pray the prayer that you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. 
Amen. Our reading this morning is taken from the book of Daniel, and it's Daniel chapter 6, and we're reading verses 1 through to 23. Daniel 6 and 1 to 23. Let us hear the word of God. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them, so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself himself among, among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of govern, government affairs, but they were not able to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered, in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, Anyone who prays to any god or man except to you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den. The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring, and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. 
Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him. And he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed, and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And may God bless to us this reading of his word. Our national news seems to be dominated at the moment by the split right at the top of the SNP. Accusations and counter-accusations have been flying back and forth and investigations are underway to try to determine the truth of the matter. Who really was breaking the parliamentary code? Who's telling the truth? The media loves those kind of stories and of course closer to home we are no stranger to these kinds of investigations and inquiries that happen all the time in public life here. They're almost part and parcel of politics here these days. But today we learn that they are nothing new. In Daniel chapter 6 we discover that right at the top of the Medo-Persian administration a high-level impeachment process was underway. There was underhandedness, there were jealousies, there was scheming, backstabbings, it was ugly. The world of politics can be very ugly at times. But these kinds of dynamics are not just confined to the corridors of power, they're also common in many modern work environments. The ruler in Babylon by this stage is Darius the Mede. He was in his early 60s at this time, so he'd been around long enough to know about corruption in the corridors of power. And so we're told that when he appointed his satraps or provincial governors over this now vast empire that he ruled, he made them accountable to three very trusted, honest, law-abiding administrators, of whom Daniel was one. Daniel, the Jew from Jerusalem, whom the king highly respected. Now, whenever we first met Daniel in this book, he was a young student. It's important to realise that by this stage in his life, Daniel was likely in his late 70s or his early 80s. He had distinguished himself by his exceptional qualities, his squeaky clean politician. Perhaps that was the greatest miracle in chapter 6 of the book of Daniel. And because of these qualities, Daniel was promoted yet again, now to this highest trusted position over all the kingdom, the, the top civil servant overseeing all the administrators and satraps. Daniel's trustworthiness, his hard work and his honesty was obviously a, a real witness to his love for his God. But as in many workplaces and indeed politics as well, jealousies often accompany such promotions. And there are those who are out to topple 
Daniel by whatever means possible. But try as much as they could, they couldn't find any fault against him in his conduct of government affairs. There was no hint of corruption nor negligence about him. So finally they schemed together and they set a cunning trap for Daniel. Hopefully the friends and, and colleagues that you have are friends that you can trust. Friends that would never be as crafty as, as Daniel's colleagues were. And coming before King Darius, they, they flatter the king's ego by suggesting that a decree should be issued for a limited period that anyone who prays to any other god for the duration of that period, any god other than you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Well, it didn't take Darius with his inflated ego very long to respond with his royal seal of approval to this new decree. He made a quick decision. He made a decision without thinking it through. Call it naive, if you will. But uh, he, he, he didn't think who might be unintentionally falling victim to this decree. He didn't think about the individual consequences of such a decree. He didn't even notice that Daniel, the one civil servant that he respected the most, was absent from this delegation. Was that not suspicious? Now Darius was a man of law and order. He followed the peculiar practice of the Persians in that once a law was enacted, it could not be appealed or revoked, not even by the king himself. It was a very simplistic black and white way of maintaining conformity and order in, in such a wide and diverse empire. And it was effective, dispelling any doubt or any lack of clarity. And so once the king had approved the edict, we're told in verse 14, it could not be repealed. The trap had been set for Daniel who ironically had never done anything wrong before the king. And here's the challenge that he faced. Did he continue to worship his God in his practice of daily prayer at his home three times a day, as he'd always done right throughout his life? Or would he comply with the new law to save his position and his life? It maybe reminds you a bit of the, the challenge faced by Daniel's three friends before the statue uh, in chapter 3. But it's much more subtle than that challenge. Daniel wasn't required by this edict to bow down before the king and worship him. He was just commanded to give up on his worship of his God for a limited period, 30 days, no more. That was the challenge that Daniel faced. It was a challenge of priorities, loyalties, allegiances, continue to worship God or lose your job. And in Daniel's case, his life. And in more subtle ways, that's still the challenge for us today. Our friends perhaps don't pressure us to do anything sinful, but they maybe do expect a certain level of commitment from us, commitment of our time that sometimes undermines our commitment to Christ. Or maybe it's sports clubs that we're involved with that demand our loyalty uh, that subtly prevent us from keeping our regular patterns of worship. Or indeed in work, often when promotion comes, along with the increase in salary, the company car, 
comes the assumption from your employer that they are now your number one priority in life. Not asking you to do anything sinful, um, blatantly sinful, but denying time for a reasonable family life, for a reasonable church life, uh, for you to lead a Christian life. And the problem is that we live in a world in which there are so many of those things that compete for our affections, our loyalties. Employers, sports, hobbies, homes and gardens, even our families. And there's nothing wrong with those things in themselves until they clash with our love for God and our loyalty to him. And that's the challenge, isn't it? Are we prepared to love God above all else and put him first, our number one priority? Or is it that our true allegiances are directed elsewhere? The temptation is always there for us to sacrifice God's presence and our time with God's people and the worship of God and the work of God. And it takes real discipline, doesn't it, to maintain that dear, daily awareness of God and ongoing relationship with him. That is supposed to, to remind us of the need to foster those disciplines that Jesus assumed that his followers would practice in order for God's presence always to be, uh, be to the fore in their lives, part and parcel of every day. Even in a situation of lockdown, when we might think that there's much more time for God, yes, we engaged enthusiastically in, in online worship and personal daily prayer to begin with in those anxious days last year. But what about as time goes on and other things compete for that time and that attention? Nobody's watching. Nobody's watching after all what happens in the privacy of our own home. Who sees you? Who sees you when you're down on your knees praying to God? Normally, no one would have taken much notice of Daniel praying alone in his upstairs room, that room that had little lattice window facing towards Jerusalem. Just as he had always done, he continued to do. He wasn't going out of his way to make a show of it. It's just what he always did. And nobody would have noticed very much except that there were those who were closely observing to see whether he was going to transgress the edict of the king which, of course, Daniel would have known about. But Daniel knew that no one else, no other thing, was worthy of that level of allegiance, that first place in our affections, none but the living God. And so he continued his regular pattern of worship, his practice of daily prayer. And his colleagues well, of course, they reported his transgression straight away to the king and the king was greatly distressed in learning of this. It had never entered his head that Daniel might be the victim of this edict that could not be repealed, even by the king himself, according to the customs of the Medes and Persians. How naive he had been. And Daniel, what are you doing, Daniel? Notice how in this passage, Daniel is doubly let down, failed by his colleagues and failed by his king. Ultimately, colleagues can't, can't always be trusted. Even kings cannot be depended upon to rescue us in our difficulty. The one who can be trusted, though, is the one 
who is faithful forever, God alone. And that is why he and he only is worthy of, of the level of allegiance that, that Daniel gives to him. And, and that we would be wise to, to give also to God whenever we're tempted to give to, to give that allegiance to anything else. Um, uh, that allegiance, that loyalty, that commitment that was always meant for God alone. Darius recognises and, and even acknowledges here his own powerlessness to rescue Daniel. But also the contrasting power of God to rescue. In verse 16, he says to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. And Daniel is then thrown into the den of lions, which is then sealed. That night, we're told that Darius refused all food. He refused entertainment. He didn't sleep a wink. And at first light, he went to the lion's den and called out to see if Daniel was still alive. Daniel, he cried, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And to the king's joy, Daniel is able to give the answer that he is unharmed, that God had rescued him and that he'd never done anything wrong before the king. Do you see that very deliberate contrast? What the king of the Medo-Persian Empire was powerless to do, God did. God rescued Daniel. Darius issues another decree, this time saying that in every part of his kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. And wait for it. He rescues and he saves. But of course, God doesn't always rescue people in the way that he rescued Daniel. Sometimes he does miraculously deliver from the snatches of death. Even today, there are many amazing stories and testimonies of God's miraculous deliverances. But not always. In fact, not for most people. It's interesting that Daniel is mentioned in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, along with a, a long list of people who are heroes in the faith. Some of them, like Daniel, were rescued through their trusting in God. But along with him, plenty of other people who were put to death in sometimes horrible ways. These were also commended for their faith, even though God didn't deliver them from those horrors at the time. But their names are still there because they were looking forward to a far greater deliverance, something far more miraculous. The resurrection of Jesus enabled them to look forward in faith to their resurrection from the dead. He has delivered us from death. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about that deliverance and saying that a day will come when we will be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable and we will be changed and that gives us as Christians great hope as we trust in God not even the most powerful most influential most wealthy friend or boss or politician or king can do anything for us on that day to rescue us from the snatches of death but there is 
a powerful God who can. And that's the God who demands our allegiance. The God who alone is worthy of our loyalty and our worship. Who's worthy of our trust. Who's worthy of first place in our hearts. Let's not allow a period of lockdown when our church buildings are closed. Let's not allow that to rob us of our continuing practice of giving him our worship daily and weekly in our homes, online or offline, together or alone. What a pity if we allowed such a small thing, a small inconvenience, to sacrifice God's continuing presence in our lives. Amen. Let us now come before God with our prayers for one another and our prayers for our world. Let us pray. Lord, we pray for politics at this time when we need politicians to give leadership, people who will set aside party politics and personal ambitions to seek and to serve the interests of all. We pray, Lord, for unity amongst our politicians locally, that attention will be focused on finding solutions rather than on the problem and the divisions. We pray for a renewed commitment to work together across these islands where each nation doesn't just look to its own interests but to the interests of others. And we pray for politicians to step up and bring attention to needs beyond our borders at a time when international solidarity and cooperation is needed more than ever in the face of pandemic and climate change. We pray, Lord, today for the nations of the Sahel region of Western Africa, places like Chad, Mali and Burkina Faso, where acts of violence, carjackings and ambushes are increasing, caused and fuelled by the stresses of COVID and drought and food insecurity. We pray, Lord, for tear fund workers there, that you would keep them safe from all of these dangers as they continue daily to serve you, as they have always done. Inspire them, Lord, by the heroes of faith in the Bible and bless the work that they do so that there might be a brighter, more just future for these nations and their citizens. We remember, Lord, the, the children kidnapped this week in Nigeria, taken from their school. We pray, Lord, for their protection and for their safe release and return home to their families. Give wisdom to the government there, to NGOs and to the United Nations as they seek to address this increase in kidnappings right across the north of the country. We thank you, Lord, for the approach of spring, which we can really begin to feel this weekend in the warmth and the brightness of the sun and the bird song. We pray that our hopes of a return to normality in the coming months will come to fruition and that you would help our leaders to guide us to that safely and wisely. Help us, Lord, to be patient, and we pray for those who are still being admitted to hospital or who are in hospital currently, that you would watch over them and give them healing and give them your peace. 
Help them to recover, Lord. Strengthen and encourage those who look after them. Comfort all who mourn during this time, whether mourning the absence of a loved one or who are simply down in spirit and weary. Those who haven't had the comfort of a hug or someone close by just to give company and assurance. God of all comfort, come close to them, we pray and lead them through their valley of tears into better places. Strengthen those feeble arms and weak knees, bind up the brokenhearted, and heal the lame. Make their paths level. For in Christ's name we pray. Amen. And now to the one who is able to keep you from falling, and set you in the presence of his glory, jubilant, and above reproach to the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son and Holy Spirit be upon you and remain with you this day and forevermore. Amen.